Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. Hello and welcome to the Merricks podcast.、Um, I am Claudia Wessling, Director Communications and Publications at Merricks,、um, and I welcome you to this show、um, where I'm going to talk to Abigail Vasselier, our Director Policy and European Affairs and Head of our Foreign Relations Program, about EU-China relations in 2024.、Um, hello, Abigail. Hi,、welcome. Claudia. How do you expect? Relations to develop. It, it was not so easy in the last、uh, couple of years.、Um, we had a EU-China summit shortly before Christmas. There was more conversation, but not many outputs or results.、Um, so, what are we looking at in 2024? We close 2023 with this summit, as you mentioned, where I think the results match the expectations, which are limited, which were limited,、um, and now we enter 2024 with this delicate balance. Where we are reengaging with、um, the Chinese leadership, where、uh, there is a roadmap, there are a couple of agreements,、um, and now it's for China to deliver. So the ball is in China's camp, and the question is on the couple of areas that we agreed upon: Is China going to、uh, be able to deliver? And that's how、uh, we are going to measure and to start measuring、um, EU-China relations. Uh, while at the same time we are in a special year because we have elections in the European Union and we have the year with most elections all across the globe, and that's going to have an impact on European policy on China. So what we do as Europeans on China, which is very different from our bilateral agenda together. Could you name a few of the issues that should preoccupy Europeans that are dealing with China this year? What are the most pressing、um, issues? First, I have to say, for Europeans this year, China fits into a much broader agenda,、uh, and we have a crisis、uh, in our neighbourhood with、uh, Ukraine, and there will be a summit, a NATO summit in July, where stakes on the European security architecture and our capacity to provide security to our citizens. Is going to be quite high. We have now a crisis、um, in the Middle East that we have to deal with.、Uh, in the Red Sea,、um, we have an economic situation in the European Union which is really not good, and a number of elections、uh, in 2024 that are going to have an impact on our China agenda. And I mean, to name a few, there will be elections in Austria, Belgium, Croatia, Finland, Lithuania, Portugal, Romania. Slovakia. So that's a long list. <laughs> it's a long list of countries within Europe that are going to have changes, and it does mean that shaping our policy agenda on China, on top of the European Union parliamentary election,、uh, that's going to be a big change. And in June, what's going to happen is、um, for Europe, for the Commission, that. Between January and June, these are the six months where the Commission has to deliver the rest of its policy agenda on China. And over the summer,、uh, 
um, after the election of uh, 9th of June, we will have a period of transition where we are going to work on a new commission, on what will be the agenda for the new commission, and the new commission will start working in December 2024, which means that there will be six months during which we will have delivery, we will have to work on our China agenda, and then six months during which we are going to work on what is the next commission going to do on China. So that makes it a very interesting uh, year for us as China watchers uh, and as watchers of the European Union. But my first point was to say China is going to be part of a much broader agenda for Europe. So right now we're still in the phase of uh, delivery in terms of uh, China policies. Um, what concrete steps do you expect? I mean, you just mentioned the war in Ukraine. Um, do you think the EU will increase pressure on China to not side with Russia so much anymore? Is that even a feasible option. And then there's a second big issue that is discussed a lot in the media right now, the, the, the topic of e-vehicle exports from China that might flood European markets and put our economies over here under pressure, competition pressure. Do you think these are examples for uh, issues where you, Europe could actually act in the next six months to come? I think your question is really good because it's about where are the European offensive points for the next six months and what are going to be the priorities. And you're right, um, I think the question of the war in Ukraine, because it's so predominant and so much of an existential issue for Europe, that this is going to be a key priority for Europeans in their dealings uh, with China. And that should remain a very high one. So it does mean that at the summit, um, the European leaders asked the Chinese to deal with the companies that were providing support um, to the Russian war effort. And this is going to be an angle through which um, the Europeans are going to continue putting pressure because we need to stop um, that um, the fact that the Chinese provide support to the Russians' war effort. That's one angle. The second angle, which is a very important uh, point for the Europeans, is to ensure that the Chinese leadership speaks to the Ukrainian leadership. And this has not happened. This is not happening enough. Um, and this is very important to have the Chinese working with Ukraine on what the peace formula could look like and what the future of Ukraine could be. So I think that's a very important point. The second important point you mentioned as regards um, the offensive agenda of Europe has to do with um, the anti-subsidies investigation uh, against um, Chinese electric vehicle. And I think this investigation and We, we talked about it in our previous podcast. This could be the first step of a series of steps, right? Mm -hmm. During this commission mandate, what the van der Leyen Commission has done tremendously well was to build a defensive toolbox to deal with market distortion from China to deal with asymmetric openness of our systems and the lack of reciprocity in a very comprehensive way. And it does mean that the launch of the EV investigation, this is the first example of what the use of this toolbox could mean. And she has six months 
to show to the Chinese that the EV investigation was just the first starting point. The question is going to be how does China react to this? And we saw it, we started the beginning of the year watching popcorn over the brandy investigation. I'm a good French uh, drinking cognac, right? Um, and the question is, are Europeans going to be um, dealing with the tit-for-tat um, uh, race in which China has entered with the Brandy investigation in a very calm way, the way they have been doing for now 18 days, extremely calm, saying, okay, we take and we deal with it bilaterally, or is this issue going to escalate in a context where the Commission could launch further investigation or use other tools? Yeah, that will really be interesting to see this kind of tit-for-tat unfolding. Let's maybe move to the time after the six months where you see the EU still being in the position to, to act and shape its China policy. Um, what if we enter the campaign season? I mean, Europe will very likely be preoccupied with other topics. Migration is a big issue. Um, the economic situation of Europe, how innovative are we still? Is there a, likeliness, a likelihood that China could seek to exploit this kind of European campaign confusion or let's say turmoil to kind of push its own interests? I think that's part of um, the trends that are likely to happen, that China is going to push um, and increase its relations with all the parties and push for a China agenda, which is more into cooperation rather than build on the defensive agenda that has been built up or the competitive agenda that we see at play. So this is likely to happen and this is something we are going to be looking at in our program, which which is what is the space for China in the European Parliament election and how are each party building up a China component within their political program that is solid. Because I think over the past five years, what has happened as well is that while China was uh, dealt with as an economic and trade issues, um, the value question spread across all areas. And then suddenly we started to have companies realizing that this business as usual, we do business in China, and that's no longer the case. And China has become an issue for Europe as a society that has penetrated all areas of our society. And the question for the political parties now is how are they going to take China as a society question within their political platform? And indeed, I mean, you, you cannot ask where do we want to put our industrial policy as Europeans without asking yourself what is the place for China in this? So this is not going to go away. Um, whoever uh, comes as a new EU Commission will have to deal with the China question, that's for sure. China, however, it seems like is m still a bit on a charm offensive vis-a-vis -vis Europe, right? I mean, we just saw Li Tiang traveling to Davos, trying to woe investors and uh, show China as the great economic nation that wants to collaborate really steering clear of all these conflicted issues, Ukraine, Mideast, there was not much mention of this in his speech. And there's a lot of traveling announced for this year. Um, for instance, Xi Jinping um, is supposed to travel to France in, I don't know the date, but to celebrate the 50th anniversary of bilateral relations. I mean, we don't know what comes out of the France trip, and I would be interested if, if they could solve the brandy question then, or if they have brandy together. Anyway, but this shows you that the bilateral 
cultural aspect of relations with European countries is still relevant for China. Would you expect them to double down on this, um, knowing that Brussels is occupied with other things? I think they will. And um, we have entered 2024 with a record number of bilateral engagements. There have been already four leaders meeting over 18 days. This is just incredible. So we had the visit of the Belgian prime minister to China, scoring points before the Belgium elections, uh, where I think Charles Michel comes into play. We have uh, Li Chang that is currently in. Ireland. Um, they have been an exchange between the president of the commission, Sula van der Leyen, with Li Chiang in the margins of Davos. And uh, we have had a phone call between Xi Jinping and the Finnish president. So you already see that if in 18 days we had four leaders meeting, 2024 is going to be the year for re-engagement. And the question for Europeans is going to be, how do we do that in a coherent fashion to ensure that the messages that all of us deliver to the Chinese leadership is following the same line? And I think we need to be honest. All member states have their own interests. All member states will continue to compete with each other in China for the Chinese markets. And that's, um, that's called honesty. Having said that, our capacity to deliver to the Chinese leadership common messages, that's essential. To coordinate our action as well in China, that is essential. So for instance, um, there should be the expectations that all the leaders are going to be delivering messages as regard trade barriers in China, as regard market distortions, and very supportive of the investigation. And We already know that the Chinese are going to go and to push for uh, signs of disagreements within member states. That's only fair. It's a fair play. Uh, but we expect European leaders to remain on the same page. And this unity in the framework of a year for offering engagement, that's going to be what all of us are going to be looking at. That's the first element. And then it's a year where there are so many elections across uh, the globe and that includes elections of big partners the US and the UK that we also need to work in being coherent with our partners um, and in that there is the expectation that As chairman of the G7, Italy is going to play a role in coordinating the China uh, framework and the China agenda uh, for partners. That's very important. But as I said, the council needs to play a role as well and each every single member state takes the responsibility to be coherent and with a form of coordination in the China agenda. Yeah, so coordinating joint messages, at least on the topics that we all agree on, will be super crucial, um, if I understand you correctly. And that will already be challenging, I would assume, since the member states, we all know, have very different economic interests vis-a-vis -vis China. So that's definitely something to watch for European policymakers. Let me maybe turn, you just mentioned the one election we haven't talked about so far very much, the elections in the US that are um, forthcoming in November. Um, it looks like Donald Trump has a good chance to win this election and the EU is somehow positioned between China and the US in a way. 
how how does China see the role of the EU in this context of its power competition with the US? What do you think? I think the perception of the Chinese is that um, they can use the European Union to hedge and to leverage their relationship with the US. And that has always been the case that the European Union is perceived as an element and an instrument for the Chinese in light of their relationship with the US. So that's the first element. And it does mean that in a year where there is uncertainties as regards um, who is going to be the next president in the US and the possibility to have a Trump 2 scenario in the US that the Chinese, and that's a debate we can have whether the Chinese leadership would prefer Biden or would prefer Trump. That's a, <laughs> that's a key question. What would be your bet? <laughs> I don't know. You see, recently we had a discussion with um, our our colleagues here working on uh, politics and society who were 100% behind the idea that Trump would be the favorite candidate of Xi Jinping because it would basically show the West in decline as this is the image. Um, and my argument was to say... That There is a point where I could sense that China has a slight preference for Biden because Biden is certainty, it's stability, and yes, throughout the Biden administration, there have been moments of crisis, critical time, But overall, the Chinese knew what they were dealing with. Um, the Chinese had a sense that managing competition to avoid that we are waging towards war, that was doable with the Biden administration. With a Trump administration, I think the degree of unpredictability of a Trump II administration would put the Chinese on hedge, basically. And what does it mean for Europe? I think... For Europeans, throughout the end of the Trump administration and through the Biden administration, there was this sense of realization of how much involved we were in the power play. And Europe knows and European leaders know that we are an instrument for both sides. And it does mean that my sense is we have learned to live with it. We have learned to navigate it. And if I take the end of the Juncker mandate to the end of um, the van der Leyen's mandate, we have been navigating US-China relations in a very consistent way by working with the Americans, uh, sharing the same analysis when it comes to China, um, trying to coordinate our line of action. And obviously, with the Biden administration, we have a good track record, it was more difficult during Trump, but still, the EU-US dialogue on China was launched at the end of the Trump administration, so there was still this effort to see and to bridge the gap in terms of what we do together, and at the same time, being very clear with the Chinese that this does not prevent us to do things together. And I can name one issue on which it has been difficult throughout the mandate to work with the Americans and easier with the Chinese, and it's the WTO reform. We have been really good at working with the Chinese, Whether or not we delivered on our set of ambition, that's another question. And the reform question. has not really happened. But still, we have Theoretically managed... Theoretically speaking. 
Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it does mean that China would be, in principle, ready to support the Europeans on their agenda at the WTO, and Europeans are not naive on that, right? But it has been more difficult to work with the US administrations on the WTO reform. I mean, you described it very well, how the, the EU always tried in this triangle to kind of collaborate with the Americans, but still re retain a kind of autonomous position here. What do you think happens if, we don't know that yet, Trump wins? Can it not be expected that European-US cohesion on in China affairs will crumble and <laughs> degrade and China might jump on the bandwagon and try to instrumentalize this or use this for its own interests? I think whatever the results of the elections are, China is going to try to instrumentalize the results of the election for pushing its own interest, right? If there is a Trump two scenarios, it's indeed going to be very difficult uh, for the Europeans. There is a first question which has to do with our degree of preparedness. Are we ready uh, to have a Trump two administration in power? And my sense is it very much depends on European capitals and <laughs> on where you sit. Um, but my sense is when it comes to the China agenda, there are different voices within the Republican Party, right? When it comes to where would Trump go on the China agenda. So one thing we would need to look at is who is ready to be accompanying the president in its China agenda in terms of where which voices of the Republican Party could make it into power? That's the first question. The second question is going to be uh, about the fact that there will not be a transatlantic agenda and framework the way we had when the Biden administration started, where there was this optimism and enthusiasm in terms of what we could achieve together. This we will not have. Having said that, on the China agenda, there are a number of efforts that have been made to institutionalize a form of coordination, which I think are going to remain in place. No the matter which president exactly. will be in the, the White House. EU-US mm. dialogue on China, I, I think it's one of the dialogue that are going to remain in place because it was set up under the Trump administration, took substance under the Biden administration. And yes, it could be that Europe has to renegotiate the terms of reference, for this, but I think this is likely to stay. The TTC, so the Trade and Technology Dialogue, which looks at a much broader agenda, this one, I'm not sure that this is going mm -hmm. to stay. So I think we are going to be in a space where on the China agenda, we are on a segment of policymaking where coordination is going to continue, or at least exchange with the Trump administration is going to continue. On the other hand, we should have limited expectations in terms of common action and in terms of what does it mean for the rules-based international system, which is probably the space where for the Europeans there is very little in common uh, with a US Trump II administration. And the question of What kind of world do we want to live in together in 10 years' time? I think this is going to be a big area of disagreement vis-à-vis -vis the US if there was to be a Trump too in power. Yeah, we will not be able to discuss today where we want to be in 10 years' time. We do that at the next podcast.
podcast. <laughs> okay, thank you so much for your insights and your assessments of what we will see in EU-China relations in 2024. Lots of activities in the first six months, lots of elections with unknown outcomes, but not a total breakdown of uh, US-EU cohesion vis-a-vis -vis China, even if a Trump government comes into the White House. That's correct. Are we having Brandy now? <laughs> While we are having Brandy, I thank you all for listening in this time to our Merrick's podcast. Stay tuned for other shows. We'll be online again very soon. And thank you all. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merrick's.org.